0: he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him rabbi who said this man or his parents that he was born blind jesus answered it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of god might be displayed in him we must not work the works of him who sent me while it is day night is coming when no one can work as long as i am in the world i am the light of the world having said these things He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees knew him, heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, Amanda. Enjoy having you read for us. This is a very familiar story and I apologize that you don't have it printed for you, but there's these things that you can buy in the store. They're called Bibles. And they're a good thing to bring with you to church. And uh, I do try every week, but we had a little bit of a technical difficulty today. And so we were unable to, uh, to print the text for you this morning like we intended to. I apologize to, that, for you, to you for that. But this is a very familiar story. It's a story about a man who was born blind, who was made to see. We began to look at it last week when we saw that it's not just a story about a man who was made to see but seeing people who really were blind. These religious leaders, these Pharisees, we might call them, who were men who had had thought they had things all figured out. They were very religious people, and we found out last week that we share a lot in common with those religious people. These Pharisees had a high regard for purity and for piety, and these are good things, but they misunderstood they thought that somehow purity and piety would earn brownie points with God. And when Jesus came through on grace all over the place, it ruined their whole system, and they didn't like it. You know. And they were also people who, uh, who, who uh, had a, a, a tremendous belief in the authority of Scripture. They 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 taught the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures. They studied it. They talked about it. They interpreted it. They had uh, they had a wealth of knowledge and information, and they valued the scripture. They knew that judgment had come to the nation of Israel because they had forgotten the law of God, and they were determined to lead the way and and to really. As they would say, create a hedge around the law so that you wouldn't trip over the edge. You know, don't put the, you know, put a hedge around the law so you wouldn't get too close to the end. So they were very concerned about that. But what happened after them is they began to be more in love with their interpretation of Scripture than they were with Scripture itself. They began to be more in love with their ideas about God than they were with God himself. And so when God... uh, Came to them in a way they hadn't expected. They couldn't accept it. They couldn't. They uh, they, they couldn't respond to that. And uh, we learned that that's a danger for us as well. We can become more committed to our theological interpretation than we are to the Scripture themselves and to God Himself. And we should always remember that while while the Scripture is perfectly inspired by God, and He does, and the Holy Spirit does interpret us, we are. He, interpret it for us. We are human beings and we never quite get it perfect. You know, as I said last week, Abraham didn't get it perfect. Moses didn't get it perfect. David didn't get it perfect. The Apostle Paul didn't get it perfect. Augustine didn't get it perfect. St. Thomas didn't get it perfect. Calvin didn't get it perfect. Luther didn't get it perfect. Wesley didn't get it perfect. Who do you think you are to get it perfect? Right? So, we've got to be careful. We value not just the scripture, but the God of the scripture, or else we will fall in the trap of those Pharisees and be blind like they were. And these were men who had a devout belief in the power of God to raise the dead. This was one of the distinctives of their religious sect. Um, They believed that the resurrection was something God was gonna provide. They were looking for that, but they were more unable to see the work of God in their present. They were ready to argue for the work of God in the past and in the future but not for right now. And so these, these Pharisees, though they thought themselves to be seeing, were in fact blinded by the light. We looked at that last week, and we learned some important lessons from that. But today we want to look at the guy who is sort of the star of this story, the blind man. This is the guy who received sight when he was blind. As I said, it's a very familiar story. You heard a man to read it for you. It says, as they passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, who sinned, Rabbi, this man or his parents that he was born blind? They asked who sinned to cause this man's blindness because everybody in that day, and unfortunately in our day too, seems to assume that blindness is the result of sin or bad things happen to bad people so if bad things happen to you you must have done something bad and jesus says no that's the wrong question there's no one to blame for this man's blindness not him or his parents but god wants to be glorified through this man's blindness and that's a good way for us to look at our problems too instead of getting all caught up in the why question why did this happen why what you know what does it mean you know all this sort of thing instead ask the how question how can god be glorified through this and through my response to this how can god be honored jesus says this man's that the works of God might be displayed in him. How can God be honored even as I deal with my difficulty, my problems, my suffering? My re- how can God be honored by re- my response to this event? In any case now, the Gospel writer tells us right away where he's going when he says, has, quotes Jesus, where Jesus says, "'We must work the works of him who sent me "'while it is day. "'Night is coming when no one can work, "'as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, and John's readers and we ourselves remember that only a few verses before this, in what we now call John 8:12, Jesus says, "I am the light of the world." So we see that John is being uh, like like a A skillful artist is painting this portrait of Jesus who calls himself the light of the world and then proves it by giving light to a man who was in darkness but also ironically showing people who think they have light that they themselves are in darkness Jesus always comes in that way to us okay he reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world so and so as we see this story unfold we see that this man is healed. Because then Jesus, it says in verse 6, having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And I'm tempted to actually do that right now, because what preacher can never do that? in church right can actually spit on the ground and make mud out of it but kim if you want to do it you can all right i, I think i won't because um <laughs> it just would be fun to, to do that just because we can right remember in john chapter 8 jesus wrote on the ground when the woman was probably for him and i rode on the ground so i want to have some fun with this but i'm i don't want to cross the line too much spitting might be a little bit even though this is cowboy church and you know Spitting sort of a cowboy thing, right? I'm going to talk myself into this if I'm not careful, so let's just leave that at the moment. Anyway, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And John puts parenthetically, which means sent. As we went and washed and came back seeing. The pool of Siloam means sent and... (laughs) Jesus is the one who is sent, right? As the light of the world, John's kind of hinting at us like a good artist, painting, he's a, all right? So he goes with this pool. When he leaves Jesus, does he see? No. He's a, he's a blind man who now he's got mud cake on his eyes. He didn't come to Jesus saying, restore my sight. He's just begging by the way. You know, he's a theological question to disciples and to everyone else. He's a beggar on the side of the road, but to Jesus, he's a guy through whom God's glory can be revealed, right? So he puts stuff on his eyes, and he speaks to him, and he says, Now, go wash in the pool. How's the guy going to go wash in the pool? He's going to have to find it somehow while he's blind, all right? So it's important to remember this. He's never seen Jesus. He doesn't know who he is. He just has heard him, right? Okay? And then, of course, it says, um, So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. <laughs> uh, and they, they, he said, so they said to him, Well, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, Well, the man called jesus of course he knew his name the man called jesus made made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me go to salome and wash so i went and washed and received my sight and they said to him where is he he said i don't know so by the time this has happened jesus is away from the scene you see this pretty dramatic little story well they uh um okay so then it says they brought to the pharisees the man who had been formerly been had formerly been blind Now, again, I want to get my little needle again. Don't you wish you were able to read this out of your own Bible? Okay? All right. So, uh, the formerly been blind. Why would they bring him to the Pharisees? Two reasons. One is, they were the religious leaders. They were respected authorities. But we see the real reason in the very next sentence. Um, Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Uh Aha. The man on the Sabbath day morning was blind. Well, by the Sabbath day afternoon, he's seeing. He talks about a guy making mud, and they got the people, they're living kind of in the fear of these religious leaders, so they bring the guy to the religious leaders and say, Would you? what's going on here with this guy, okay? Uh, and so it says, so the Pharisees again asked him, now the second time, this guy who's now, I mean, you know, it's like, Instead of people rejoicing, wow, this is great, you can see. This is great, let's celebrate, let's have a party. You know, they're kind of, what's going on here, you know? Uh, Asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes, and I washed, and I see. You know, he's telling the story again. Um, Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? and there was a division among them. And as we discovered last, this last, last week, see the Pharisees had this point of view that God had made this Sabbath and he called us on the Sabbath and that since this Jesus had him make mud or pr- practice medicine on the Sabbath, he had broken one of God's laws. So therefore, despite the fact that he was healed, he couldn't have been from God. Okay, the other people would say, well, wait a minute. A guy was blind in the morning a man healed him in the afternoon. That sounds like something God would do. Maybe we should reorder our categories a little bit to accept what God is actually doing. See, this was the problem the Pharisees so rigid in their interpretation of scripture that they ended up not ascribing to God a work which actually had been of God. And if you are wise, you know that there are Christians who do that today. They say, that can't be of God. Doesn't fit my view of scripture, (laughs) right? So be careful that you don't get more committed to your views than you are to Jesus, all right? Okay, all right, so then they begin to have a controversy and we have this thing interchange back and forth. So I want to take a look at this story now and have us think about how is it that those of us who are blind can be made to see? John's telling this story to show that there are people who were, thought they were sighted but really were blind But how can those of us who admit that we're blind be made to see? And there are several things I want you to jot down if you have your notes there before you. The first thing, if you want to see, is you've got to see your blindness. (laughs) You've got to see your blindness. Um, Now, you might think this is obvious, but it's not always obvious that we are blind. Now, this man's blindness was obvious. You know, he couldn't see. But as we... As we see as this story develops, Jesus says there's more than one blind person in this story. These Pharisees are blind too. In the as as, as the story ends, and Amanda read it for you. Um, um, Jesus says in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Blind, And Jesus said, if you were blind, you have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. These Pharisees were blind, and they didn't know it. Verses 39 to 41 tell us of that. You see, um, they were blind, but they couldn't see it. Now, this blind man had an advantage. See, the blind man knew that outside of divine intervention he would remain blind outside of some miraculous event he had been blind from the day he was born he was going to be blind until the day he died nothing was going to fix that unless a miracle came to him something that changed he knew that divine intervention was necessary for him but the pharisees were deluded by their own piety by their purity and by their theology They couldn't see that their standing before God was just as desperate as that blind man's. They couldn't see that they needed a miracle too, because they thought they could see. They didn't think they needed God. It would take a miracle of grace for them to be made well, just as it had for the blind man. what do I mean? These Pharisees had not thought deeply enough about their theology. They remembered about circumcision and how the God had told them to practice circumcision, and they were very eager to make sure that circumcision was rightly practiced. And they differentiated themselves pridefully about who was circumcised and who wasn't, who's on the in and who's on the out. But they had forgotten about the fact, as Paul the apostle reminded people in the book of Romans, that the book of that the book of Genesis told told them that Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul reminds him in that book, if you've read it, that that happened before Abraham was circumcised. That as a result of God's crediting to him of righteousness and his belief in God, God said, now I want you to do this practice as a way of affirming that that you belong to me. It's an outward evidence of an inward response of faith to something that I've done. See, it was a grace at the beginning. The Apostle Paul makes that point in the fourth chapter of Romans. And they'd also forgotten about the whole story of Israel. They remembered the law. They remembered Moses. They remembered the covenant which had been made. And, you know, there's lots of talk about Moses in the book of John. They remembered all these things. They knew how important it was to observe the law. But they'd forgotten this critical fact. When did rescue come to Israel? Before the law or after the law? before they were slaves in egypt god brought them out rescued them as a gift of his grace and brought them to that mountain where god says i've brought you now this is my covenant this is what i expect out of you and they got all confused like they thought about abraham that the key was circumcision when in fact it had been the fact that he believed in god god's call of him and as an act of his grace and with regard to the children of israel they thought it was about obeying the law and the covenant and getting all those rules right when in fact yes those were important but they there was a deeper reality which was that god had called them and rescued them and he makes that point over and over in the old testament he says there was nothing special about you you israelites i called you i spoke to you it's all about grace so these pharisees were in need of grace too Just like the blind man needed a miracle of grace to give him physical sight So too those pharisees realized needed to realize that yes circumcision mattered in that day Yes, the law mattered in that day, but it didn't matter more than grace It didn't matter more than the fact that god had called them god had rescued them god had chosen them They were trophies of his grace and they lived The law as a thank you to grace they followed the practices of circumcision and washing as a thank you to grace. They'd forgotten the main thing. I make a big point about this because the truth is, there are a lot of people today, maybe among us, but certainly around us, who don't realize how desperately they need grace. Their lives are pretty well together, They've got to kind of figure it out. They want God as kind of an addendum to their life, a way to improve their life, a way to help them. When in fact they don't realize that they are blind without a work of God's grace. We need to see our blindness. We need to see that there's nothing in us except that God chose to love us. We Uh, if we are prideful about ourselves that's bad news because we want to be worthy we want to stand up before god and say like the pharisees said in the prayer room god i thank you that i'm not like these guys right we want to have something to bring we want to we want to come and say lord uh, look at what i've done and i know there's some bad stuff here but look at this good stuff too that's what we want to do so we want god as a help to our life and the good things that we do and sort of add in oh my goodness But in the words of the old Christian hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It's all about Jesus. It's all about grace. So we've got to see our blindness. If we're prideful, that's bad news. But if we're humble, that's good news. This is why the gospel always goes fastest among the poor and the economically deprived. Yeah, and why it's harder among usums? Because we've got things pretty well together. Yeah. You know, yeah, we need to get a little help here or there, a little advice here or there. No, we've got to see first of all. We're blind without Jesus. We're blind. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. Oh no, that sounds like bad news. But there's good news on the other side of that, okay? So the second thing is Believe in Jesus Believe in Jesus Yes, it's hard to admit that we are blind Yes, it's hard to admit that we are lost A lot of us don't like to admit we're lost when we're driving on the road, right? I'll find it sooner or later, we'll get there, right? But can we let go of our pride? Can we let go of our self-improvement plan? Only then are we ready to receive sight, you know? We can believe in Jesus, verse 36 to 38 Jesus, 35, I guess, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to to you. He said, verse 38, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. What's beautiful about this story is that this man had a progression of faith which mirrors what it is that John wants us to learn in this story. Remember in John chapter 20 and verse 31, at near the end of his book, he said, There are many things I could have written about Jesus, but these are written that you might know that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you may have life in his name. His whole point of this book was to help us come to a proper understanding of who Jesus is. So, yeah, it sounds bad to hear that we're blind, but it sounds good to hear that the one who restores sight is Jesus, and he is the Messiah. Look at the progression of this man's understanding of Jesus. Verse 11. OK, remember he's just there on the side. Here's the guy's name. Verse 11, it says, um, in chapter nine, "The man called Jesus made mud." First of all, he's simply a man. The man called Jesus." Now as we go to verse 17, they, he says to them, "They said, "What do you say about him since he opened your eyes?" He said, "He is a prophet." So now this man is now a prophet in the understanding of this gentleman who was blind. And in verse 33, it says, he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he was just a man. Now he sees him as a prophet. Now he sees him as someone sent from God. And then finally he sees him in verse 38, who, uh, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. His understanding grows and so what had just been physical sight now becomes spiritual sight because he knows to worship the one who gave him sight yeah we call we're called to believe in jesus see the most the most important life question is who is jesus and how will i respond to him and the christian message is that jesus isn't just a great teacher isn't just a smart man, isn't just a revolutionary leader, isn't just a guy who taught some stuff, did some miracles, that Jesus was, in fact, God embodied. God in the flesh. That Jesus was God. And that's what's the essence of the Christian faith. So we need to see that we're blind, and then we need to believe in Jesus. Place our faith in Jesus. And then the third thing is, we need to act on Jesus' word. We need to act on Jesus' word. Now, in this man's story, this happens earlier. And sometimes it does happen earlier for us. We, we, uh, you know, we begin to follow Jesus without fully understanding Jesus. And that's what's kind of beautiful about this man. He kind of obeyed, and the more he went along, the more he figured it out. And a lot of us have that experience as well. That's more, When people ask me these questions, theological questions, I say, I don't know about all the answers to all those things, but I just know that I believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And I encourage you to look at that question. Who was Jesus? And if you follow Jesus, you will find yourself more and more drawn to him. So in verse 6 and 7, act on Jesus' word. The third thing, act on Jesus' word. Jesus said to him, go wash in the pool. So he went and washed and came back seeing He had to act in faith. He had to accept Jesus' word and go wash in the pool. Healing was a gift of Jesus' grace, but it did not become activated in his life until the man took Jesus at his word and responded in the faith. Now, think about what that means. Healing was a gift of grace. This guy's healing was available to him when Jesus said, go wash in the pool. But what if he doubted it? What if he got distracted? What if he didn't believe it? What if he didn't respond in faith? He would never have received the gift which had been offered to him. And there are people who know about Jesus, know what he's done, but have never acted, made a decision, made a commitment of their life to respond to him. You see, it's when we act on Jesus' word that healing comes. There's a story earlier in John that you may recall in the fourth uh, the, um The fourth chapter of John, where a man comes to Jesus pleading, I think it's in the fourth chapter, pleading on behalf of his son, okay? He's, uh, he's, uh, something's telling me this is actually the fifth chapter, the end of the fifth chapter. Um, It's the fifth chapter, I think. He's pleading on behalf of his son, and Jesus says, go, your son is well. And the Bible says the man took Jesus at his word and went and found that his son had been healed later. See, we have to take Jesus at His word. What does that mean for you and me? That means there needs to come a point in our life, and maybe several points in our life, when we we'll need to make a decision and respond to Jesus so that His grace becomes evident in our lives. You see, we need to be responsive to Him. Um, I'm thinking of something I hadn't planned to share, but it was about a year ago this time when. Something that had been brewing in my heart for a long time wanted to burst out and it was the idea that maybe God wanted a church right here in King Creek right here in this little town you know as a witness to Christ oh it, it had been in my heart for a long time and something I had resisted and there were reasons why I thought it was all the wrong idea you know and I remember going to my little Bible study group at which Brad and Jessica and Brian and Michelle sorry Brad because Brad has no idea what a ministry he was to me that night when I said to these guys and the others who were there that night I think maybe uh, God wants me to go off and start a church I'm going to leave the church where I'm at and go there and these people said, let's do it, you know? Yeah, let's do it. Before most of you were here, you know, that was tonight. And, you know, so this church has been just one little sovereign act of God after another. We called Larry and said, hey, can we have an Easter sunrise service? He said, sure, you know? So we did that, you know? we had no money we had no real support we had nothing just the idea that maybe it'd be great to have sort of a non-traditional style uh well a traditional style church in a non-traditional style setting let's put it that way and uh those first few weeks and months we did not get a lot of people saying come on board come on board right you guys remember you know and uh other things so this church is a gift of God's grace, but it becomes active when we respond in faith. And some of you here are part of that as well. Having come in maybe a little bit later, you're saying, oh, okay. And so we get a call a couple months ago by from the Arizona Republic and the New York Times saying, hey, we wanna run a story." What? You know, I had someone call me and say, how did you get in the New York Times? What did you, you know, like we did something. <laughs> no. We're just trying to take it a step at a time. So I'm off my, I'm on a rabbit trail, but hopefully it's a God led rabbit trail to say, what I'm talking about is not simply that initial time when you respond to God and receive Jesus as your savior, though of course, I'm imploring you to make that step. But those other times in your life, when God puts something in your heart, just I'm ready to do something. I want to make a change in your life. I want to help you here. And you get this nervous place in your spirit that says, I'm afraid, right? And you step out. I've always loved that image in one of the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies. And some of you will tell me this story when he's trying to find the chalice or whatever. And he goes in this, some of you remember that story? Okay, I'm sorry for being unprepared, but here I go. And he goes in and he he grabs and he he ends up getting the right one, right? And then he steps out of the thing and he realizes there is nowhere to step. Any of you remember this image? Some of you do. Okay. And he just has to trust that when he steps into that crevice, he will not fall to his death. And sure enough, not until, but as he steps into that, the path is made out for him. He had to act in faith as a response to what he felt was true. In that way, he was not unlike the people of Israel when they crossed into the Promised Land, when the water passed away as they stepped into it, not when they were leaving Egypt when the water came away first. You see, often at your first moment of conversion, God will do great things. You can't help but say, oh, my goodness. But later on, God may say, there's a miracle here for you, but you won't see it until you step into it you know okay a little bit off topic but perhaps it's what we wanted to hear today believe in jesus and then act on jesus's word as i said healing was a gift of god's grace but it did not become activated until a man took jesus at his word and responded in the faith and i don't have time to do this but i'm doing real quickly tell your story fourth thing tell your story In the 25th verse, finally, he said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, I was blind. Now I see. Now, if you were listening earlier, you see that he's told his story several times. Different times. They keep asking, what happened to you? What happened to you? And he keeps telling them. The more he tells it, the more he believes it. Here's my final application. I want some storytellers in this church. I want some of you... In fact, I want to challenge all of you to take some time to write your story in one page. What Jesus has come to mean to you. How it is that you met him. How he made a difference in your life. How you once were blind and now can see. Write that down. Respond to that. Because as you do it, it will help you to grow. And then, if you have a lot of courage, and I hope you'll do this, email me a copy. Okay? Email me a copy. Where you just write your story. Make it an act of faith. So that you can... And it'll it'll do you wonders. Because it will force you to think through. Why am I a follower of Jesus? How did Jesus become real to me? You know? And you will find that once you write your story. You'll have the chance to tell your story. And it will become a more powerful story. Not only for you. But for those who hear it. So... Tell your story. The more he told the story the more his faith grew. Now I want to be sure to honor our one-hour time and so I'm going to stop right here and say to you the truth of this story is that everybody but Jesus was actually blind. Some knew it and some didn't and Jesus came to bring sight not just to the guy by the road who couldn't see but to everybody. They had to admit they were blind. That's hard. But once you admit that you're blind, Jesus is the source of bringing sight to those who are blind. And then act on his word. And then tell your story. People don't really care what the Bible says. They don't really care about the, the three reasons why, the, by the, why God is alive and well. But they do care what Jesus has meant in your life. And if the gospel is true, your friend should be able to see Jesus in you somehow. Tell your story. Learn your story. Tell your story. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story about blindness and sight. Thank you for bringing sight to that man. And thank you for bringing sight to us. Thank you that you have done that as a miracle of grace. We pray that we would respond to it so that it becomes activated in our life. And then we would simply say, I can't explain it all. All I know is that Jesus has become a real person to me. I gave my life to him, and he gave me life and light. I pray that there might even be some here today who would say, oh, that's what it is. That's why I've always felt a little on the outside looking into this whole Christian thing. I've never responded in faith to Jesus. Pray that they would do that today, and that they would then tell their story. In Jesus' name, amen.